It's Monday, February 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill with me today. It's Jason Moser. It's a Moser Monday once again. Good to see you. <laughs> hey, how's it going? It's going all right. We got retail news. We've got some toy earnings. We're going to start today with Serence, the automotive AI developer. Came out with record results in the first quarter, and yet shares of Serence down 8% today. Is this a valuation thing? Is this people in the market saying, look, it's up 400% in the past year. We're, we're taking some profits. <laughs> I think that's a reasonable... Um that's a reasonable assumption. It, 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 there are some things in the call that, that could lead you to believe that maybe the near term there might be some challenges. But yeah, I mean, there's no doubt it is a it's a business. It's not profitable yet, you know, and, and so that is one of those things. It's the biggest risk to a, to a stock like this today is is typically going to be valuation given how far it's run in in such a short time. It's just been a tremendous performer for us uh, in in our services. And it's really turning into a fun little company to follow. The, the value it shows the value I think that spin-offs can offer because if you remember, I mean, Serence is it used to be a part of Nuance Communications and spun off from Nuance to, to become its own own little company. But but really Serence for folks who don't know what Serence does, I mean, this is a company that focuses on conversational and vision artificial intelligence-based products for the automobile. And so it's essentially, you know, getting in your car and being able to operate things primarily with your voice. But they also have neat audio or neat visual components there. They're working with uh, partnerships to develop uh, augmented reality windshields. So all sorts of neat things that they're developing as the car becomes this next frontier. And uh, the neat thing about this business, I think, is when you when you actually go through what they do, and it, it, the primary focus today is on the automobile. But they also they also like to tap the market expansion potential in adjacent markets, including get this, Chris, cruise ships, two wheel vehicles, and elevators. <laughs> so so modes of transportation of all sorts. I mean, they're really looking to get into all sorts of different uh, modes of transportation, and really the car is the primary frontier for this for this business. But. To your point, it was a great quarter. Revenue grew by 23%. Uh, they had called, incidentally, for 10 to 16% previously, so they, so they really surpassed guidance there. Uh, so, $95 million for the quarter versus, versus a year ago, setting a new quarterly record. They have continued growth in billings per car. And uh, interestingly, too, they won back a major European uh, OEM deal. For the quarter, so so generating some some new infotainment designs uh, for a, a major European OEM, and that production will start in 2023. So there's a lot of cool stuff on the horizon. Um, I mentioned there were some signs that maybe some near-term challenges, and primarily that was noted in uh, supply chain constraints and semiconductors. And and I I I think management is being pretty upfront with that. We've seen that mentioned before in other calls. A company I referred to on Motley Fool Money this past week, uh, Synaptics, uh, they noted the same thing. There are just some supply chain constraints in the semiconductor industry right now that are that are putting some businesses in a little bit of a pinch. That's a near term thing. That's not a business specific specific thing. So so for me, when I look at what this business is doing. Uh, regardless of the selling off today, I think that they really still are. They're delivering what they say they're going to deliver, and, and I'm really encouraged. You've said before that if Serence got acquired, that would not surprise you. No, no. So, my question is not about your surprise. My question is about, uh, for lack of a better term, your level of anger. 
there have been companies in the in the past that you have owned shares of. You've been big fans of them, and then they get acquired, and you're a little salty about the fact that you know you you, you wanted to see this thing run on its own. Is is Serence in that category, or is it the, a situation where if six months from now someone pays a big premium, uh, you think, all right, if if someone's going to pay that price, I'll I'll take that as a shareholder. Um, I, I I would much rather see this company go about it on its own. I mean, I, I would be a little bit salty. I mean, that would harken back to the days of PayPal acquiring Zoom. I think that's ultimately what you were getting at, Chris. That, we, I, we, I wasn't going to say it, but that's <laughs> absolutely the example I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think uh, for me, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if a if a bigger competitor in this space thought, hey, this would be a nice little business to roll in. I mean, something like a Qualcomm, for example, that really is making inroads in the automobile, no pun intended. Um, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. But when you look at what this company is doing, they rolled out this... Um they had the, they had this presentation uh, uh, several weeks back, and, and it was called Serence in Motion. And they introduced all of these new, really cool ideas that they've been developing. And, and ultimately, this is just about making the car more of the ultimate smart device, given how much time we spend in our automobiles these days. Uh, they, they rolled out this new operating system, Serence 2.0. They actually got their first major bookings for Serence Pay, believe it or not, basically bringing payment functionality into your automobile. Uh, I mean, listen, war on cash much? I mean, this is another play in potentially the war on cash right there. Uh, but they've also got things like Serence Extend, which offers a seamless way for you to essentially bring the power of your phone apps into the head unit of your vehicle. And Serence Connect, which ultimately lets you connect your smart home to your car. And then Serence Tour Guide, where it's just essentially a virtual tour guide. If you're driving around anywhere, like this Serence Tour Guide thing can give you all sorts of information about places and facts and, and, and things wherever you may be. And, and so you see the innovation of this company. Is they, they don't stop. They keep spinning that wheel and innovating. And, and a lot of it seems to be very practical and very useful stuff. Um, so, so for me, I mean, I would much rather see them go about it on their own. Uh, oftentimes, those things are out of our control. Uh, so we'll just kind of take it as it goes. But, but all things considered, uh, I'm very encouraged with where this business is headed, and uh, and I think the future looks very bright. Shares of Hasbro are down five percent this morning, despite the fact that fourth quarter profits and revenue came in <coughs> higher than expected. The board game segment did well for Hasbro. I, I'm assuming at least part of what we're seeing here is a ripple effect from movie theaters being closed because their entertainment division took a a not surprising hit. Yeah, I, th I think that's definitely part of it. They definitely they noted on the call uh, that there was a comparison with last year due to Frozen that made things far more difficult this year for them. I mean that anytime you're, you're talking about Frozen, you know that's going to be a nice catalyst, right? That's going to be a nice tailwind. And then when you have a year where you're not um, relying on one of those big hits, it, it, it's going to make the year more challenging. I mean, for me, you know, I, I look at Hasbro today, my, my enthusiasm for Hasbro isn't quite what it used to be. I mean, I, I still like the business, don't get me wrong. I, I feel like it's kind of like the Super Bowl commercial of earnings, though. It's kind of <laughs> like, it's like, eh, it's okay, I guess, but if I feel like it needs something more. And, and there's no question the market's enthusiasm is a little bit uh, less than, than, than perhaps it was years ago as, as well. I mean, if you look at the performance 
Over the last five years, the market has more than doubled Hasbro's returns. And then over the last three years, with Hasbro essentially flat, the market's up about 45%. So, I understand the concerns there as, as toys continue to be redefined, as kids move more towards the digital frontier. I mean, if you look at the numbers, they weren't bad. I mean, net sales were up 4% for the quarter. Uh, there was a little bit of a currency boost there, but not much. Uh, adjusted earnings, $1.27. Um, they, they do continue to benefit from the rollout of Disney+, Plus. believe it or not. They noted in the call that the Star Wars product revenue for Hasbro grew nearly 70% last year, despite it being a first year without a theatrical release since 2014. And so, that growth was really driven by The Mandalorian on Disney+. And so, you can see here, as as they deal with this with this sort of shifting media landscape, at least they have those good partnerships they can fall back on. So even if there's a tough comp, you know they don't have Frozen, for example, but they had The Mandalorian, and that definitely helped. Uh, very broad portfolio of offerings with their with their franchise brands like Nerf and Play-Doh, uh, Transformers, etc. That that performed well, and, and they made a big acquisition last year. A company called E1, and uh, that's content production distribution. They had brands in there like Peppa Pig, and I mean that that's going to be a part of the business. I think they need to kind of get those financials in order to make it a little bit more clear as to how uh, that will contribute to the growth of the company. That was a big acquisition, about four and a half billion dollars they spent there, uh, but but they benefited from a robust U.S. and Canada market, and, and gaming continues to perform well. Uh, TV and film and entertainment, all things considered, did well, up twenty percent. So it's it's. It's some good, some bad. Uh, all in all, though, it, it, it's a difficult, it's a difficult environment for these guys. Difficult landscape. In early 2020, Target launched its own line of workout apparel and exercise equipment under the brand name All in Motion. Today, Target disclosed the All in Motion line has reached one billion in sales, and I get that this is happening during a pandemic, but. Even if you want to discount this to some degree, to me, it is another sign of what a good job Target has done investing in in-house brands, and in particular, apparel brands. Yeah, there was an interesting uh, point that was made. I saw from a retail consultant regarding this, and essentially, Target's been been looking at all of these different private label opportunities, whether it's an apparel or food and beverage or whatever it may be, and they sell. They essentially just look to their competitors. They look to the other players in the space. They try to figure out who's doing things really well and who's doing things really poorly. The, the, those that are doing things really well, they're like, okay, let's just go out there and kind of do what they're doing. Let's just sort of replicate that. And, and then those that are not doing things there very well. They're like, okay, that's an interesting opportunity. Let's figure out how we can do it better. And so, what that has resulted in over the last five years, Target has launched more than 30 private label brands in, in markets like clothing and, and home goods and furnishings and whatnot. And um, I, I think a data point I saw that four of those brands hit $2 billion or more in sales last year. Kids Apparel was one of them, and uh, if you remember, not all that long ago, I mean, I was I was a really big proponent of uh, Jimboree, right? I mean, Jimboree was one of those companies that, when I had two little baby girls, 
trying, I mean, listen, I'm a guy trying to figure out how to clothe my little baby girl. Like I'm just a dummy when it comes to that stuff. But, but there's this opportunity in kids, in kids apparel. And we've seen companies do so well with it. And Gymboree ultimately was acquired, you know, at a premium because, because it's just such, such a, an interesting and, and sort of niche market. And, and Target has seen that opportunity and, and continues to make those investments in apparel and, and it's paying off. But you're seeing other big players in the space do that too, right? Amazon's doing it. Walmart's doing it. I mean, even Dick Sporting Goods is doing it. And so, uh, to me, I don't know if you feel this way and, and, and you can tell me, it feels like to me, at least that today, uh, value is arguably more important than ever. And it feels like we're entering a time where brand carries less sway than ever before. I don't know. How do you feel about that? No, I, I agree with that. I, yeah. I, I think that, again, this is, this is, and I can imagine someone listening, um, you know, to the comment that, um, that, um, that you read and thinking, well, of course, that, that's, that's obvious. You know, thank you, Captain Obvious. Like, oh, who's doing it really <laughs> yeah. well? Let's emulate them. Who's doing a bad job of this? Let's just try and do a better job. One of the reasons this is so tricky is because it really, it, it's almost seductive how easy it looks on the surface, that basic strategy. It is so much harder in execution. And I think yeah. what Target has done for a while now, to me, the, you know, the, the news about the All in Motion brand is, is merely the latest version of this. But I think they've done a really great job of providing value in their, I would say, in in-house brands in general, but particularly with apparel, yeah. where they just say, you know what, we just want to make, you know, good clothing. Um, we're, it's, it is going to be a good value. Um, we're, we're not going to be Lululemon, but we're going to provide uh, a workout apparel that we think provides um, a decent value relative to Lululemon. Um, because let's face it, we've seen plenty of examples over the years in all industries, but definitely in uh, apparel retail, where people try and overthink it, where yeah. they say, "No, no, no! It's got to be, it's got to be our own version of this, and we need to come up with our, you know." And it's just like, no, just make good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, to to your point there, I'm going to be interested to see. I think Under Armour reports later this week, and um, you know, that's a business that obviously has been struggling to find its way after some strategic missteps. And and for a for a brand that has focused historically on on being that that premium brand, and then they kind of tried to move away uh, into more of a, a value offering and into growing that market opportunity, that overall audience, and, and that didn't really work out so well. Um, again, it kind of makes you wonder, like how how important is brand for the masses out there? I mean, I think brand doesn't matter. I mean, you look at companies like Lululemon, for example. I mean, I think you could, you could lump Nike in this as well. There are there are folks out there who are just they love those brands, right? That they'll they'll preach that from the mountaintop, and and that's great. Um, but making good stuff, and you and I have talked about this before. Making good stuff is great, but that's not all. You got to take it to the next level, right? You got to be able you got to be able to deliver the goods. Just making good stuff doesn't cut anymore. Well, and that's that's where I think Target has the advantage over a business like Under Armour, yeah, because they they are they've basically looked at you know the under armors the lululemons of the world and said okay how do we how do we make stuff at a decent value because we can do all the other parts of this we yeah. can do inventory we can do shipping we can do fulfillment we can like we know we can do all these other things if we can figure out a way to make some 
some decent product, then, then that will help move the needle. So, um, uh, real quick before we wrap up, since um, uh, we got to we got to talk about the Super Bowl ads just for a second, <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah. And it, it, I, I don't know about you. When I was watching the game, I was I was thinking back to the conversation I had on Motley Fool Money a couple of weeks ago with Janine Poggi from Ad Age, and when I asked her, you know, what's the better strategy for advertisers? Is it to go for branding or is it to go for a call to action? And she landed squarely on the side of branding. Um, and I think that, you know, I think the ones that were successful last night were the ones that sort of stuck to their knitting, so to speak, yeah. and and didn't didn't try and get too creative. You know, there was a lot of nostalgia, you know, aimed right at you and me and people <laughs> yeah. our age. And I just, it was one of those things where I just looked at it and I thought, you know, some of the humor landed, some of it didn't. But at the end of the day, I'm not going out and I'm not ordering from Uber Eats and I'm not buying a Cadillac just because there was, you know, an Edward Scissorhand thing going on there. Um, I did, however, um, uh, and, and one of the things Jeanine mentioned when I talked to her, she, she, she reminded me of the fact that on last year's Super Bowl, Quibi, came out with you know an oh, ad yeah. um and i did think that paramount plus did a really good job with their ads they ran a few different ads and i thought they did a great job of just saying these are the shows march 4th is when this thing launches download the app it was just very direct they didn't try and get to it, to me it was sort of the opposite of the fiverr ad and God bless Fiverr and, 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 and the work they do there. And this, and I'm not saying anything about the business, and I'm not saying anything about the stock because that's you know, that's been a great performer. But it was one of those things where I was like, I think I know more about Fiverr than the average person watching this game, and I'm confused right now. More than likely, more than likely, yeah. I I, I feel like the Super Bowl commercials. Uh, I don't. I, I feel like they've jumped the shark, kind. I mean, like I felt this way for for the past several years. I mean, I just don't find them to be. They're just. They're just not as creative, maybe, as they used to be. It feels like. It feels like they more try to rely on star power, and celebrity, and and thinking that just kind of that that's enough. It's kind of like kind of like an apparel. Just make good stuff, and that'll take care of it. And these commercials, they're like, well, we'll just get celebrities in there, and then and that'll take care of it. And, and I, you know, I just I just don't I just don't feel that way. I mean, I there were some commercials that stuck out to me. I felt like I felt like the Chipotle commercial. To me, I liked it because it felt like they were not on their high horse, as as in as in. Uh, previous previous years right we've seen those those commercials that they put out on the internet or whatever and it really it's like they put themselves up on such a pedestal that was a much more relatable down-to-earth type of commercial and and i think it, it that one stuck with me the one <laughs> i think the one honestly that made me laugh actually um was the tied jason alexander <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> commercial and that was just because all of the different scenarios with the different facial expressions and i mean it, yeah it, it, it was a little bit of nostalgia there going back to the seinfeld days and, and i mean that was obviously a show that you and i grew up watching and i mean you just you can't ever forget george costanza and so that 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 commercial had me chuckling a little bit there but but yeah generally speaking i, I yeah i find the commercials it, it feels like it just it's just not it's just not doing what it used to do and and relying on celebrities certainly doesn't cut it for me I, you got to be got to be something more and i think what was uh, particularly effective about the tide commercial was it wasn't just oh let's get jason alexander and we'll make some <laughs> seinfeld references and it'll be funny it, you know it was an ad about like hey you're more of a slob than you think you are wash your clothes <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, like to your point about the Paramount one, no, I probably won't be subscribing to Paramount Plus. But I, I did like how the ad really focused on showing that wide swath of content that they have. Everything from Beavis and Butthead to uh, professional golf and, and yeah. Star Trek and, and everything in between. And so, they're, they're just showing you in a very simple fashion the stuff that they have. And, and if you're interested in it, that's cool. I mean, it made a lot of sense to me, at least the approach. Um, the, one, the one that stood out to me also, and I don't know if you saw this, because it was, it was I think, up for like just a split couple of seconds, maybe, was the Reddit commercial. Did you yeah. see that? Yes. And I think basically all I really saw was like, if you're seeing this, it means our bet paid off. And that was all I could actually read before it went off the TV. So I wasn't really sure. I didn't really look up to see beyond that what they were trying to say, because I could kind of ascertain it. But uh, it was just interesting to me that they felt compelled to actually get that up there on the TV. One more trip down memory lane before we wrap up. Uh, someone tweeted last night because uh, this was Tom Brady's 10th Super Bowl, and someone tracked down some of the advertisers from his first Super Bowl, which was in 2002. Here are some wow. of the companies that advertised. AOL, Blockbuster <laughs> Video, Radio Shack, Circuit City, CompUSA, Hot Jobs, holy cow, and Gateway Computers. Man, and uh, you know AOL is still around in some form. Um, I think uh, I think those the rest of them. I mean, Radio. Someone's trying to revive Radio Shack as an online only store, but oh, yeah, that was a, a, you know a nice uh, <laughs> a nice reminder that uh, not everything lasts. Except Good investing lesson. Except Good apparently Tom lesson. Brady. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jason Moser, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.